to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today our topic is going to be confidence. It's not really that profound to say that confidence is an important part of everybody's tennis game, their competitive game. Um, But when people have researched mental toughness, tried to define mental toughness, and had asked athletes what they think are the most important attributes of mental toughness, confidence is near the top of the list. And in one particular study, which asked the question, what is this thing called mental toughness? And uh, they surveyed elite athletes. The way it was described was this idea of unshakable confidence or unshakable self-belief. And I'm giving my own opinion here, Josh, but when I hear that word unshakable, it makes me think a little bit about perfection and perfectionism. I'm not sure that unshakable self-confidence is attainable. And we've heard top players like Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal talk about certain doubts that they have during matches. So they're two of the best players in the history of the game and their confidence is not technically unshakable, although probably as close to it as possible, right? They're able to kind of handle some of those doubts better than us and and move toward doing what they, they need to do. But Uh, With that being said, it obviously is an important component in most people when they think of their confidence. They maybe think of it as this sort of of out-of-control force. Sometimes I've got it. Sometimes I don't. It may even ebb and flow during a match. In fact, it probably does for most people. And that could be on a particular stroke. It could be, you know, and this is a related concept to your belief in winning the match per se. Um, And so these things can go up and down. And today, we want to talk about ways of looking at confidence differently, not so much as this uncontrollable force, but thinking of it more as a skill and as a choice. And I think one, you know, good way at least to begin to define what confidence is, is go back to its Latin roots, confidere, which means intense trust. And when I when I hear that, Josh, I really like that because it's um, especially related to your abilities. As a player, you want to have this intense trust in your forehand, in your backhand, or aspects of your game. Um, and so, you know, what are your thoughts on the idea of intense trust and in, in and in a tennis player? I think that's an important place to start because you want to have, as you said, you want to have trust in your forehand, your backhand. Um, I think we can even take it a step further and say we want to have trust in our game as a whole and in our ability to problem solve and to figure it out as we're out there on court, Um, knowing that, you know, it might get messy, knowing that it might be, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs, knowing that you might not have your best, your best game, your forehand or serve might, might not necessarily be there at the level that you want but still being able to have the confidence and have the trust that you can, you can get the job done and you can still perform at a high level regardless. I, I would say that's, that's a big part of it too. Um, but yeah, I, I think as we start to think about this topic, it's important to, um, I think I would say that the trust piece is important because uh, when the going gets tough, when you're in that, you know, when you're a breakdown or when you're in a tie break, it's, so important to be able to 
to trust your game and trust that you have what it takes to to um, be successful. Um, and I think that that starts with, um, you know, I, I think it starts with a lot of things. It starts with your training um, on a daily basis, and we can we can get into that what what that looks like and how you can um, bring your training and some of the progress that you've made from your training um, and how that can deliver confidence. Also any, you know, accomplishments that you've had um, certain match wins um, certain progress that you've had over, you know, the past few months or over the past year um, and thinking about how, where this confidence can come from. Um, and it, it can come from a number of different places. Um, we can talk about where, it generally comes from where most players get their confidence from, but it can be, you know, it can come from a lot of different sources, including your day-to-day training, including, um, you know, recent tournaments, including uh, the people around you as well. Um, and that team of, you know, sort of support staff, you could say, or, you know, your um, the, the, the people that are around you and are supporting your, your progress as a player. Um, so I think as we start to think about this topic, it's, it's important to think about those, those various sources of confidence. For sure. You know, and I think the, while there's that trust piece, there's also a little bit of a, like a faith belief piece because as you're playing or even practicing, maybe on a longer basis, practicing to be a great player, uh, in a match, uh, you're trying to get to the end of the match. You can't really see every step ahead, but you have to have some trust in, in how you're training, some trust in how you're playing, right? Trusting in that process. And you just keep moving forward with this belief that if I do these things right, I'll, I'll get to where I would like to go in the end. Or, or at least I will learn a lot more about myself and, uh, and about the game. So I think there's, there's that trust piece, but there's also this sort of belief slash faith piece about Simply taking steps forward to, to see where you, you may end up. I think it's a good um, transition here to you know, talk about what do players typically base their confidence on? Because you know, I'm sure you've heard this. You'll, you'll, you'll talk to a player, and for whatever reason, they're feeling low in confidence. And typically, well, what is that based on? Typically, it's based on results. Uh, or, or it could even be performances. Both of which, you know, I would put a caution sign on, can't 100% control those things. Uh, Even your performance is not 100% controllable. Yes, you have influence over it, but in a sport like tennis in which we're interacting with someone directly, there's going to be an element of that out of our control. So uh, while I find that that's when, when players are low in confidence, that's typically what they point to as the reason, you know, for, for not feeling great about their games. Um, is that something that you hear as well, Josh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I would say it often comes from those most recent results. Um, and yeah, if they're not feeling as confident or, or, you know, saying that they're not feeling confident or not feeling ready, um, yeah, from my experience, it's generally about either those most recent results or how things have gone to practice just over those last couple of days, um, which is why it's it's so important to have, I'd say, a deeper reserve of um, of past experiences to draw upon. Um, 
and as well as you know th- your development and thinking about okay where was i a year ago or where was i 6 months ago and acknowledging the the gap between where you were and where you are now um and and it may not always you may not always be at a better place necessarily but i would bet that at least certain aspects of your game have developed um probably over those last six months, you've had certain milestones or certain wins um, and certain things that you can draw upon so that it doesn't just have to be based on, you know, your last result, um, but you can have sort of a, a longer term memory and, and draw upon more results than, than just your most recent. And I think that reminds me of another thing that players who are low on confidence tend to do is they compare themselves to others and, what others are doing, how others are playing. So-and-so just won this tournament. She's in, you know, my particular group or whatever, my, my academy. And it's very easy to search out people to compare yourself to and feel bad about, about how you're doing. But what you just referenced is a more valid comparison, you know, you to you a few months ago. And, and like you said, Josh, even if, Maybe the game isn't exactly where you would like it. There are some things that are, are very likely better. Perhaps even just more emotional maturity, mental awareness. Some of these things have probably improved over time. And um, who knows? Maybe if you just keep doing what you're doing, a big bump in your game is, is, is coming up. So like you said, we have to find uh, a broader list of sources of confidence to really round out the the whole picture because we as players, we as coaches are naturally looking for those alleged weaknesses for what is going wrong. And that kind of talk and thinking can lead to doubts and, and focusing on, on, on our deficits rather than focusing as much as we should on our, our, our positives. So, and we know by focusing on our strengths, it can um, increase our confidence, but also increase our self-efficacy, and we have more positive emotions to put into our performances. So a couple of things I think we can also look at in terms of you know, how to better source your confidence, um, think about being prepared, you know, how prepared, you know, that's when, if you're prepared to compete and you're able to say, yes, I've done everything I could to be prepared today should feel better about going out there. So that's something we can all strive to do is to make sure that we we can answer yes to that question of have I done everything I could to prepare for today. Working on your conditioning is, you know, or being in good shape, you know, how are you as as far as that go? That that is something. Um and I think the the, the last couple that I had were ones that you already mentioned, but looking at that improvement and then making sure you've got good relationships within your team your performance team, whether it's your training partners, coaches, whomever, sports psych professional, if you, the more positive your relationships there, um, the more likely that your confidence can grow. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think we could add in that there, there are some other ways to systematically grow that confidence, like a confidence journal, which I know we've talked about in the past, but, um, having a specific journal to note down sources and reasons why to feel com- why you should feel confident. Maybe it's your eight, your 
working on a certain shot during practice and now you're able to hit the kick serve the way that you wanted to um, or you're feeling more confident coming into the net or playing against a certain type of player um, or it could be other sorts of um, improvements that you've made. Maybe it's improvements in the gym, strength and conditioning piece, which, um, you know, that feeling fitter, feeling stronger will give you more confidence, I think, going into a match, but also um, definitely in the later stages of a match, going into a third set, for instance, um, you feeling fit, you feel, you knowing that you've put in the hard work to get to this point will help you feel more confident in that moment. Um, and, you know, maybe it's beating a certain player that you'd never beaten before. Um, so, you know, in that confidence journal, you can list um, and start keeping track of all of these different sources and all of these different reasons why you should should feel confident, reasons that you have to feel confident. These aren't just fluff like, oh, I'm the best tennis player in the world. These are actually based on your on your results, on your training, on everything you've been doing to get to this point. And then um, figuring out when, when do I want to look at it? Um, maybe it's the night before the match, feeling a little bit nervous. Um, maybe it's the morning of, um, maybe it's even, you know, maybe there's even a chance on court to look at it, um, right after the warm up, for instance, in between sets, um, figuring out when, when you need to look at it, when it would really help you to look at it. And, um, I, I think that can that can also go a long way. So figuring out how you can systematically build that confidence and then how can you have that reminder um, while you're out there. Now you're transitioning us to looking at confidence as a skill, confidence as a choice, and the use of the confidence journal I think is a great way to start to make daily deposits to your confidence bank account. And, and that's something we should all be doing. So, you know, whenever we practice a skill, we want to actively practice it. And the confidence journal is an active exercise to help you make those deposits. And the thing about a, a confidence bank account, if we use that metaphor, is um, we want to be making deposits so that when we come to some big competition that is meaningful to us, that we have a large balance in there because that's where we're going to need to spend the confidence. All that confidence that we've banked up until that point, we're going to need to go out there and use it and spend that spend that confidence cash. And unlike perhaps your bank account today, there is no overdraft protection on the confidence bank account, right? If it's if there's nothing there, you can't go borrow it from somebody. Um, and so in that regard, it's a skill that we want to do and I think we can talk about more ideas about that. Um, but confidence is also a choice. And to some people, that sounds a little strange, I think, because because they still think it's more of a this sort of ebb and flow force that is not controllable. But we can consciously choose to be confident. And it can just start with your body language. Walk around with confidence. Walk around like this is your court and you got this. And you can then pair some great self-talk with that. That's either motivational or instructional in some way. Uh, And so we can go out there and choose to be confident because if you're not choosing to be confident, then you're, whether consciously or subconsciously, choosing not to be confident. And that will uh, give an advantage to your opponent in, in any match that you play. So we want to make sure that 
we look at this as a skill, that we're doing little daily things like the confidence journal to, to add to our, our confidence bank account, as well as choosing to be confident, choosing to work on this as a skill. And it can start with something as simple as your body language. We know that how you are physiologically will change how you think psychologically. So, and it goes the other way around, right? It's a, it's a circular or a cycle type of thing. But we can start with an action to drive a particular state of thinking. So start with your body language and then let everything kind of flow from there. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of research that by starting with your body language, it, it sends a signal to you to, to feel more confident. It, uh, your actions and your behaviors um, are, are deeply connected to your emotional state. So I, I think that that's great advice. And, and another thing we can do is, you know, the night before or the morning of um, visualize that also is something that, that sends a powerful signal um, to our brains as if we've already been in that situation. So visualizing the way that we want to be playing points, visualizing um, our body language uh, in between points as well. Um, visualizing how we want to respond to maybe certain tough situations that we may encounter out there. Um, but there, you know, a number of mental skills that we've referenced, you know, many times that, that we regularly reference, um, like self-talk, like vis- like visualization, like our routine as well, um, that can give us more confidence out there and can help to set us up for that, you know, that next point um, in the best possible way. So I, I would say, um, I, I would I would just think about you know visualization when we can you know, when are the best times to incorporate it, um, such as the night before, the morning of, um, or, or even right before, maybe it's, you know, right after the warm up and you're, you know, getting a sip of water or of your, your energy drink. And uh, maybe that's a, a chance to really um, visualize, you know, how you want to go out there and play that first game. And that's going to give you more confidence when you actually get started. You mentioned also thinking about obstacles, and how you can handle them, right? That goes back to our episode on mental contrasting. And, uh, you know, someone who is perhaps the world's best visualizer, Michael Phelps, talks about the three things that he visualizes. You know, what he wants to happen, um, what he doesn't want to happen, and then sort of like what his, uh, what he thinks will happen. And so he goes through that and you know, what he doesn't want to happen is has been an important part of his visualization for a long time, whether that's, you know, his coach, Bob Bowman, you know, stepping on his goggles or stealing things or ripping his, his swimsuit, etc. cetera. Um, not only has Michael had to deal with these things in the pool, and in fact, one of his gold medal performances, his goggles either filled up with water or fell off, one of those things, but he was so good at knowing what his stroke count was, he was still able to win the gold medal. And a big part of that is his visualization. So you can find tons of videos on YouTube of Michael Phelps talking about his visualization strategies and how that brought a sense of calm and confidence when he got to the pool and was just standing at the blocks. That at that point, he didn't need to think about anything. He was totally relaxed. And so your suggestion of using visualization as building confidence prior to something is a great idea um, because it can help bring a more calm sense to what's going to happen. 
do have rehearsed this mentally, but you know, not only what you want to see and what you hope to see, but also what could possibly go wrong and how you're going to handle it. So now there's less uncertainty in what you're having to deal with. Um, so I think that's a, that's a great thing. And you can also pair that with perhaps a self-talk script for some of those situations. You know, when we think about that mental contrasting, a big part of it is this, if this, then that type of thinking. So if this happens, then I do X, Y, Z as my response. It's not if, oh, I didn't expect this to happen. I don't know what to do. And, and so from, you know, if you want to get more on that mental contrast and go back to that, that episode, but I think that's a really important part of, of building confidence prior to competition. Absolutely. Um, because a lot of these types of situations will happen. It may not happen every time you're out there, but it will happen, whether it's the swimmer whose goggles fill up with water or it's the tennis player who's down a break or misses, you know, the, the sitter volley. Um, it's going to happen. It, it will happen at some point. You will double fault. Sorry to tell you, it, there will be a, a situation where you double fault. So I, I, I like that, that by visualizing not just what you want to happen, but these inevitable situations that you don't want to happen, but will occur at some point, um, gives you more confidence for how you're actually going to handle that situation. Because if not, if, if when, when it hits the fan, if, if you've never thought about it, if you've been just hoping it wouldn't happen, you're, that's when panic can set it. But if you've thought it through, if you have a plan, if you visualized it, then it's a lot easier to access that plan and to access that planned out response. Um, so I, 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 I like that a lot. It, it actually reminds me a little bit, this is sort of a off the wall comparison a little bit, but I think it's, I think it makes sense. Um, so I recently did a scuba diving certification. Um, and the first day of this um, in the water and, and, and part, partly the second and third days as well, you go through all the what if scenarios, maybe not all of them, but at least the main ones. What if your mask fills up with water? What if you lose your, um, your regulator and you can't find it to what you need to breathe? What if your oxygen tank isn't doesn't seem to be working. What if any of these likely or rather unlikely scenarios takes place? And before you can do, you know, any anything else, you need to know and practice how to handle these different situations, these different scenarios. So um, I, I would say for tennis players, as much as we want to focus on what we want to happen rather than what we're trying to avoid, at least spending the time thinking it through and having a planned out response goes a long way so that when it does happen, and it may not happen all the time, but um, when it does happen, you you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you've planned out. And I think that that goes a long way to, to feeling more confident in that situation. So sticking with your story, Josh, going through those scenarios, how did it affect you? It, it really affected, it really made a huge difference. I mean, I... The, the difference between me going into the water for the first time without, you know, before having done any of these different safety scenarios and, and knowing the steps. Um, and I, you know, sort of freaked out at first and went right up to the surface. Um, but after, you know, after a few days, 
just feeling so much more confident, so much more comfortable knowing that if these situations do take place, I know exactly what to do. I've practiced it time and time again over these last few days. I have a plan and a backup plan as well. Um, so I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I also have sort of a bailout situation, which is maybe a little bit different from tennis. But um, I think also thinking, you know, to, to bring it back to tennis, um, having a plan for some of these situations. And I think we can be specific. Like what if, what if let's say your forehand's your best shot. What if you're in a situation, your forehand just can't find the court. You're making too many unforced errors. Um, what, what should you do? For some players, that might look like adding more spin. Um, for some players, that might mean maybe you don't run around quite as many backhands as you usually do and don't rely on your forehand as much. Maybe you incorporate the slice, but having a plan for that situation, and then maybe it's a plan B um, or just thinking through that situation, at least having that conversation with a coach, you know, with your parent, with a sports psych professional so that you've, you've thought through you know, what if you double fault at a big moment? How are you going to handle that? How are you going to spend that time in between the next point? Are you going to make any adjustment going into your next serve? Um, but going back to um, this example, it, it really does make a, a huge difference just for how confident and for how prepared you ultimately feel. Your comment about feeling better on day two and day three also reminded me that one of the things that players can struggle with is just the lack of confidence about competing. Maybe their nerves or anxiety or fears about that. And the more that you get used to it, the more exposure you get to some of these things is another way of, of beginning to build some confidence. And we know that a lot of players, especially younger players, as they get into tournament tennis, and I don't have the exact stats on this, but we know that a lot of players leave the game after their first tournament. Maybe it's not an enjoyable experience. Something happens, right? Um, and you can understand there are a lot of elements there. Not everybody can win. And uh, maybe just people don't like the idea of competing, perhaps. Um, but the more that we do these things, the more that we practice, and like you said, even practicing your responses to these different things, the better we feel. So the more we're exposed to that, the more confidence we gain in our, again, our efficacy in, in those moments. So I think it's important that um, for those who feel maybe a little bit nervous about entering competitions, it will not always be horrible forever. Um, it'll yeah. get better. And, uh, and especially if you can have that perspective, knowing that, okay, maybe the first tournament is not going to be so great, and I'm going to probably be pretty nervous. And uh, but we don't want to read into that too much. It's almost like you have to go through that that experience to get to the next thing, and then the next one will be a little bit better, but maybe still not great. And then you got to get through that. Um, and it's a it's a matter of traversing all these different obstacles and challenges and adversities so that you can begin to progress to progress your game. Um, but it'll also be fueling this this experience and confidence bank account as you, as you go along. Um, I think another area we can look at Josh in terms of building confidence. If we go back to the idea that we're often looking at our weaknesses is really be cognizant of working on your strengths. Um, you know, really basic definition of a strength is something you're good at and enjoy doing. 
So you, you know, if your forehand, the inside of forehand is your favorite shot, well, make sure you're practicing that. Make sure you're uh, take, trying to take it to the next level and that you know how that particular shot helps you to be effective on the court. So the more that we um, focus on our strengths and practice, but also remind ourselves of our strengths prior to playing, remind yourself of how you play, how you compete. And that stuff really goes through what you're good at. And so, you know, when I work with players, I have them do this strengths and identity exercise where they can really define what they're good at and then how they use those strengths to be effective. And it's a great reminder, primes your mind for how you want to play and, and compete when you go out there. So it's another thing that we don't talk about enough, I think, in, in sports psychology is really going through your strengths and practicing that to be more confident. That's a, that's a great point. That is. Um, and we talk about reminders. Um, the, there, there's a, a lot that players can do to set up reminders um, so that they can access that during a match. Um, it can be easy to, in the heat of the moment in a match, lose sight of some of these things that you want to keep in mind. Um, and some of it can have to do with um, your strengths or some of these sources of confidence. And uh, sometimes we see pro players, um, it, you know, decide on during a changeover or before a match, looking at something that they've written down. Maybe it's a notebook, maybe it's an index card. Um, and I know we, we've talked about this in the past, but this, that is something that, um, you know, I, I think more and more people can, can benefit from. Um, and, you know, you can, you can decide what's going to be on there. It could be certain strategic aspects. Um, it could certainly be sources of confidence. It could be mental reminders that you want to have. Um, and over time, that's going to change. It's a, you know, can be thought of as sort of a working document that, you know, you figure out, hey, this was really helpful having on here for when I was competing. Okay, this maybe wasn't as helpful. Okay, I'm going to rewrite it or make some changes or add some things. Um, so that's a great way to remind yourself of some of those sources of confidence, of some of those strengths, as you mentioned, Brian. And some of those reminders may help you mitigate the stress of not feeling confident during a match um, or having those doubts. Like we said earlier, no one's really perfect at this. So it's normal for your confidence to go up and down during a match. Uh, we would like it to do that less. Um, but in those moments, maybe you have some reminders that help you with the doubts. And it could even just be strategies about take a few deep breaths, relax the body more. Um, that can be a good way to reset the mind, refocus what you're doing so that you're not letting the doubting thoughts really drive how you're performing and, and, and how you're thinking. I think reminders are great, especially for those of us who are not playing college tennis um, and don't have on-court coaching. It really is a way for you to put down your best on-court coaching that you get from your coach, your sports psych professional, others, parents, friends, things that you've read or have seen, um, you know, different mantras to use. It's a great place to distill all of that. And, and you can categorize your reminders, perhaps for situations, when I'm winning, when I'm losing, what do I want to do in a closing situation? What do I do when I'm not playing well? Maybe there's just a general area. You get to choose 
how you do that, whatever works for you. And so I think, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Samuel Johnson that says, you know, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. Everything on your reminder sheet, you know, but in the heat of the moment, you may not be able to recall it. And that's why it's a great idea to have that out there with you because no one is coming to rescue you. It's all up to you. So if you can set up systems that help you to be more confident, you know, there's a performance coach named Brian Kane who has worked with a lot of MMA athletes. And he talks about working with those guys on setting positive mindset reminders on their phone. And so the idea is um, at certain times of the day or maybe you know when they go into the gym, they get these messages on their phone that help them to be in the right mindset, to bring the right perspective to what, to what they're doing. It's a great you know, system for getting your mind to think the way you want it to think because it doesn't always do that. And, but we, we generally have a, a decent understanding of how we think when performing our best. Just may not be able to get there on our own all the time or we let the mood of the day drive how we're thinking and feeling. What if you had a system around you that helped get you into that state more and more often? Um, you know, so that's a great idea. Can't necessarily use that on the tennis court, but we can go low-tech solutions with paper or index cards, those types of things. Um, and again, the, the idea is, can we use these reminder systems as a means of getting you to be thinking and feeling the way you, you need to? We talked about optimal intensity in one of our previous episodes, this is a great opportunity to, for you to work on that individualized state for yourself and come up with some reminders about how you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, yeah, we, we talked about how important it is to figure out over time what your ideal state is in terms of how much intensity you uh, play best with. And, I th- and also, um, another concept is trying to really dial in on what are your you know, what, what does it take for you to play well? What are those, I know you've referenced this, Brian, in the past, but what are those key ingredients um, for what it takes for you to play your best tennis, for you to perform at your best? So I think really spending the time thinking about that, um, both from a mental perspective, both from a physical perspective, what does it take for you to feel prepared? And having that sort of list of ingredients or those, you know, um, almost step-by-step, what does it take for you to play your best? What do your best performances look like? What do they have in common? Um, And reviewing that uh, prior to a, prior to a match or prior to a performance can, can go a long way too, because it helps to remind you. I feel like that's the word we keep coming back to remind, um, remind you of, you know, what it, what it's going to take for you to play your best. And, and also, you know, that reminder of why you, based on that, okay, then why should I feel confident? And that's going to come from those different sources that we've been referencing. And I think our overall goal is to help players become less and less fragile out there, right? So the author, Nassim Tlaib, talks about this concept of anti-fragility. And really, there's sort of three stages to that. There's, you know, there's being fragile, which is maybe we're kind of victims, we make excuses. And, you know, when tough things happen, we're really breakable. 
And then the next stage is, you know, becoming resilient. We're, we're tougher now um, and we can bounce back from things. But then the final stage is becoming anti-fragile and this idea of uh, we can handle anything. And again, that might be more about perfection than anything. Um, but when we are on our path to becoming anti-fragile, and I think this encompasses a lot of what we've talked about today, Josh, is we want to have a process or protocol about how we deal with difficulties, how we deal with adversities. And, you know, the worse the difficulty or the worse we're feeling, the more we've got to stick to our protocol. It's easy to, you know, stick with an in-between point routine when you're winning and the match is going great. It's much harder to commit to that protocol when you're down a set and a break. Yet, that is when, that that is what's going to help us be more more confident, more anti-fragile is by really committing to our processes and protocols when things are difficult. Um, you know, the worst thing that we can do is be down a set and a break and just go through the motions and, and, and do nothing. You know, um, it's at that moment where we're feeling our worst and it doesn't look good that we got to commit to a lot of these things that we've just talked about. Definitely. Definitely. That's, that's the situation in the match where it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to not feel confident or not feel as capable in your abilities, but that's really where it's, you know, most important to be able to draw from your, you know, from all these different sources of confidence so that you, and I think another thing that maybe it's almost assumed, but when you're playing, when you're feeling confident, you're going to, that's going to contribute to you playing better. Ultimately, that's going to contribute to you going for your shots. That's going to contribute to you trying to play your best brand of tennis. So that's, um, I think also maybe a reminder in that moment that, you know, it's, it's almost losing sight of the outcome a little bit and it's okay to go for it. Um, giving yourself the confident and almost permission to go for it to miss, but, I'm going to go for it in that situation. I want to, you know, win or lose, play, go out there on my own terms and, and play the match on my own terms, um, knowing that that's what it's ultimately going to take to, to play my best. Um, but I think, you know, that's that, as you said, that's, that's the moment in the match where it's, it's most needed and where, um, you know, if you've put in the work to get to that point in terms of your preparation, in terms of your development and your training, that's when you have that bank to really draw on. Yeah, because if you miss that shot you're going for and you've got a big confidence bank account, not a big deal. It's missing a shot doesn't mean you're not going to play well today or you're not a good player and all those other things. It's much easier to get through that. You know, and it's more than a confidence bank account. I think it gets back to this whole idea of your inner fortress of mental toughness. Confidence is a part of that. Um, but if you have built up all this, you know, I think more of the psychological term for it is psychological capital, we'll call it your inner fortress of mental toughness. If you've really built that up, you're going to be able to handle these little bits of adversity much more easily. And they won't affect really the, your image of yourself as a player in a negative way. Um, missing a shot is simply missing a shot. It doesn't mean my forehand isn't working today or... I'm not going to win or, or whatever. It's not a big deal. But a lot of this confidence work really begins on the practice court 
begins with mental skill training and 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 that's where you spend it and if you can be building your bank account if you can be building your fortress of mental toughness uh, not only will you be a more confident player when you compete and, and, and play better you'll just compete better period and you'll feel better about yourself and so these are when we talk about this being a choice and this being a skill really the first choice you got to make is I, I I'm gonna look at these things as as skills I'm gonna build them as skills and I'm gonna be actively doing this on a daily basis and it needs to be part of my development plan absolutely not viewing confidence as just something innate um, but understanding that it's a skill, understanding also that it's it's natural for it to go up and down. Um, it's natural for, you know, after losing a match or losing a couple tough matches that you may not be feeling as confident just automatically. So that's really where you where, where you need it, where you need to have a system where you can draw upon that that capital, that bank account. Great conversation, Josh. Any last points? Um, I think I think it would, it would be interesting for the listeners to think about some of their favorite players, some of their favorite pro players, and just think about some moments where they demonstrated supreme confidence. Maybe it was coming back from a match point down. Maybe it was coming back from a set or two sets down. Um, and think about what what it took for them to achieve those things. Did it take you know them sort of being fearless and going for it? What did their body language look like? Did they look defeated? Did or did it, did they look like they were still in the match, still going for it? Um, sometimes you can you know hear certain aspects of self talk as well in terms of how players try to pump themselves up. But I think we can you know draw upon um, some of the, these role models, some of these um, elite athletes as examples of how to stay confident in some of these toughest moments. And there might be. On the reverse side, some instances where some of these confident athletes go out on the court and they just run through somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, Roger Federer comes to mind because I think the way he starts matches is different than most. Because he, and he talks about how he comes out firing aggressive right away. He's not the kind of guy who is looking to find a rhythm. He's establishing himself and imposing his game with a lot of confidence on the opponent. Um, that is something I think it would be worthwhile for people to observe as well is how, how do these players start matches? Because that, that I think can be a real doubting moment for many is, is that beginning stage of the match. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot to learn from, uh, from the best players, most elite athletes in the world about how to, how to come back, but also how to start and how to finish. So great stuff, Josh. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.